Ladies and gentlemen, welcome wrestling fans worldwide to Knoxville and the Great Smoky Mountains for the Ron Fuller Tennessee Studcast. Six feet nine inches tall, 265 pounds. This historic podcast from one of the most respected and successful wrestlers and promoters will follow the footsteps of the largest and oldest wrestling family on the planet. Listen to what I'm saying. That's right. Bring that camera in here a little bit closer. Through 93 years and four generations. The stud has arrived. Old school or new fan, this unique broadcast will educate and captivate as Ron details decades of professional wrestling's growth with truly unforgettable stories. I want those people out there at home to hear the stud. Sit back and enjoy the ride with the Tennessee stud. The Tennessee stud. You will learn that name, you will remember it. And now, the stud is here. Hey everybody, welcome in. It's David Summers hosting another studcast with the Tennessee stud, Ron Fuller. This is the story of wrestling in America as told by the stud, whose family started the profession 100 years ago. So now, let's step back into the ring and back into time. We get wall-to-wall and treetop tall with the Tennessee stud, Ron Fuller, Hanging out in the Great Smoky Mountains of Tennessee. Hey, Rod, what's going on? Living the good life up there. Oh, man, doing good. Uh, uh, everything's pretty cool. A little bit warm. But uh, it's that time of year. And it's a lot better than some places in the country. I see that. Oh, you bet. We When we were in Death Valley a few years ago, it was 115 degrees. Yesterday, I saw that it was only 128 so and when you step out in death valley it really does it's crazy when they say it feels like you're in an oven well it did absolutely it did i can't imagine what it's like there now hey ron let me ask can we start today with the fact i listened to your ask the stud seven question and answer show on youtube southeastern rewind a couple of days ago then i saw the title for this stud cast so i have to ask you three three different questions that I've jotted down to come up with to get this thing started. Were you the only professional wrestling company owner in the world in 1979 going through a wrestling war? Uh, yeah, to my knowledge, Dave, yes, I think I was probably, yes. Okay, all right. Looking back, do you think that having more than one territory had anything to do with all the problems that you were encountering in an extremely busy 1979? Well, man, honestly, in looking back, I'd have to say that many of the bad things that happened would not have happened if I had uh, had been uh, had had not had two territories at the same time. So I guess my answer then to that one is yes. And uh, trying trying to run two territories separately at the same time, I believe at this point uh, it was a mistake. All right. So my last question is: Was there a better way to have done it? that would have been more successful from the beginning? Have you thought about it that way? Well, man, I, I think the answer to that one is easy. Uh, but uh, but I, I didn't make it happen until 1985. I'd kind of pieced it all together, and uh, the answer was called Continental Championship Wrestling. After that 1979 failure led to my selling one of the two territories, uh, that took me uh, six years for me to build it back again to those original two territories, to the old Gulf Coast 
and then adding Knoxville back. That process actually started in 1980 uh, when we added Birmingham and all of northern Alabama in the deal with uh, Nick Dulles. And uh, then uh, it finished with that triumphant return in 1985 to Tennessee and back into Kentucky. All right. That, uh, now, that's an amazing story right there in and of itself. Selling one territory in 1979, returning six years later with one of the biggest wrestling companies in the world. There's a lot more stud cast in finishing that story. I know I know that's got to be the case. All right. So the title for this stud cast, number 308. This is number 308. I mentioned seeing it earlier. It's called Record Crowd Becomes Disaster. All right, so I can't wait to find out exactly what you meant by that. So where do we get started and where do we ride first today? Well, man, as we've talked about being in 1979 here, there's just no end to the problems, man, of owning two territories. You just mentioned that question earlier. Uh, And uh, the 1979 was such a struggle for the entire year. Uh, This title kind of refers to the Southeastern Gulf Coast Territory, but the southeastern Knoxville territory was not much different than that. Uh, there were challenges everywhere, man. And uh, obviously, uh, <laughs> it's it's kind of an oxymoron. Uh, I think that's the term for it. Mm-hmm. A record crowd. How can a record crowd become disaster? You know, so uh, I, can, uh, I think we're going to figure that out, and we're going to talk about that in this one. And we're going to start riding today in the Gulf Coast territory where one major city was going to set their all-time record attendance. And with that, something that should have been a great night for me turned into a disaster instead. And all because I couldn't be in two places at one time. So we're going to break down the all-time record Dothan, Alabama crowd and card, which was in a football stadium, Rick Hughes, I mean uh, Hughes football stadium. On a Friday night, July 27, 1979, we're going to talk about the fantastic TV show that promoted it. Because it was such a great card, we had all kinds of stars. Uh, We'll talk about the results of that card, the attendance for that event, and uh, the disaster that it became and why it became a disaster. And then we're going to ride south in the Knoxville Territory, where at this point we're lost uh, for the first time ever an entire event in the last studcast due to the storm that forced the cancellation of the match in the amphitheater. So more than a, just a, an event, it was maybe the best event of the year that we lost, as a matter of fact. So coming off that disaster, we're going to find out how we followed that card. We'll talk about the TV that promoted that one, the, the results of the card, and... Uh, the attendance, and on Friday, July 27th, on the same night, bear in mind, this match that we're talking about in Knoxville is on the same night as the record-breaking crowd in Dothan, Alabama's match. Wow. So we're also <laughs> going to take a look at the next attempt uh, from the All-Stars to do anything they can to gain attention. And if we got enough time left after all that, Dave, we're going to shoot for another learning tree question. Well, I tell you what, you better start shooting because this is going to be a loaded stud cast. Uh, no doubt about that. Following a disaster last week in the Tennessee Territory with a record crowd in one Gulf Coast city that turns into another disaster in the Gulf Coast Territory this week. 
All right, you said we would open up with the Gulf Coast territory this week. So how about Friday, July 27th, 1979, a spectacular card. I wish I, man, I would have given anything to been at this show in Dothan, Alabama, Rip Hughes Stadium that produced the largest crowd ever to see a wrestling event in our fair city. Tell us about that. Well, man, it, it was a seven-match card. It had four championship matches on this card. Wow, this was a tremendous card. The opening match was Eddie Sullivan, managed by Billy Spears, versus one of the very young and talented brothers that, uh, that came out of Columbus, Georgia, Ted Oates. Uh, then the returning assassin, Randy Colley, who had just shown up last week again, was facing a fan favorite at this point, Herb Calvert. He was a, he was a pretty big star there at this point. Fans really liked him. Although he never got into many main events, he was a good opening match and a first two or three match guy on the card. Ox Baker was returning from Japan on this event and meeting a newcomer out of the Gulf Coast, man. One that you're going to be very familiar with, who's also going to become a star down there in the Gulf Coast, Crusher Blackwell, is being sent from Knoxville down south. Uh, and in the first of four title matches for the Southeastern Tag Championship, the champion Samoans, managed by Billy Spears, are going to be defending against the Dargon Twins, They're making another appearance. And uh, I think this was their last one. But uh, could be maybe another one or two. Hmm. And then for the Southeastern TV Championship, the defending champion, Ron Slinker, is going to be facing Jerry Briscoe. Wow. And in the next match, the former NWA world champion, Jerry's brother, Jack Briscoe, was going after the belt of the Southeastern champion, Austin Idol. And the main event was for the NWA world championship, Harley Race versus Terry the Hulk Boulder. Man, that's amazing. You've got you've got both of the Briscoe brothers for that, and four. I think you said four championship title matches. Absolutely incredible card. A former and present NWA World Champion, as we said, four title matches plus Ox Baker against Crusher Blackwell, a who's who of American wrestling, right there in one night. I can only imagine what was on the TV to set up and really promote this card. Well, this TV, Dave, uh, obviously it was done differently than the, than the one we did about three weeks earlier on the 4th of July event in Mobile. Uh, on that TV, we basically had two different shows uh, for the three Gulf Coast TV markets. Uh, one, we did two different personality profiles. Uh, we did not show some interviews from the stars that were not going to be appearing in Montgomery and Dothan and uh, in Mobile only. So this time we did it differently because Harley Race, the NWA world champion, was only appearing in one southeastern city. He'd been appearing in two or three cities uh, pretty regularly, but he came just for this world championship match against the Hulk. And because this match was with an opponent, Terry the Hulk Boulder, mm -hmm. that had beaten him in the middle of the ring nine weeks earlier in Dothan, and because that opponent in the last nine weeks had a become a huge star since that win. And because uh, we felt like, uh, Louie and I, that we could and we wanted to try to draw fans from all over the territory for this huge event. I mean, to me, that makes a lot of sense. But why Why were you making it a territory-wide event? What, is, what does that really mean? 
Well, because the other two markets weren't really that far away from Dothan when you think about it. The idea was to kind of draw fans from the entire territory. And, uh, and it really helped that this event, obviously, was on a weekend night, Friday night. Uh, Mobile and, Co- and Columbus, Georgia, as an example, were both about just about a little over two hours from Dothan Drive. Uh, Montgomery and Pensacola were only about an hour and a half from Dothan. And Panama City and Tallahassee were only about an hour from Dothan. So, you know, we were just trying <laughs> felt like uh, because all those cities were covered by our TVs, that we might be able to pull some fans from all of them. All right, I get it. All right, so what was on the TV show that promoted this te- territory-wide event? Well, it opened with the Southeastern champion, Austin Idol, Charlie Platt. Uh, they were at the set, and they watched an interview right off, recorded from the Florida Territory, which was basically Tampa, the home of Jack Briscoe. And... uh and Jack talked all about this upcoming Southeastern Championship match against Austin Idol. Uh, and then when that finished, uh, Idol went to the ring and uh, he got himself another win. So it opens up with Jack Briscoe, former world champion. Uh, Idol gets himself a win. Second match seg- segment opened up with Ron Slinker, who was the TV champion. And he was defending his TV trophy on this card, on this TV. Uh, we actually had a TV championship match, as well as all, all the rest of this big card. And uh, he was defending against the gladiator, Ron Slinker. The match ended in about a 15-minute, uh, it went one of those 15-minute time limit draws. Uh, Slinker, uh, once the match was over, went to the set with Charlie, and he watched another interview from the Florida Territory. And this time, it was with Jerry Briscoe. And uh, he was going to be, you know, wrestling Slinker on the big card. He talked about, uh, you know, being the TV champion Southeastern would be a big a big uh, feather in his cap, mm-hmm. Jerry. And he said, you know, then this match was going to be a no time limit. Wasn't going to have a 15-minute time limit on it mm-hmm. because it was held outside in a big event. Then the personality profile had Terry the Hog Boulder, man, uh, watching his spectacular win. On May 25th, 1979, 63 days earlier, he beat the NWA world champion, Harley Race, right in the middle of the ring. And uh, and then on that night, I was scheduled to be the challenger for the title, but uh, I got hurt out there basically trying to help the Hulk because he was getting beat up by Ox Baker, the Samoans, and Billy Spears, all of Billy Spears' troop. And uh, so right before that title match, my match was next for the championship, Ox Baker hit me with a hard punch. Uh-oh. I wasn't able to go back to the ring to Russell Harley. And I, I was, uh, I was uh, given the task of b- picking who I wanted to take my place. And uh, there stood the big old Hulk, man. <laughs> so, you know. So, uh, you know, and, uh, and Harley said he would defend the title. And then when the Hulk went to the ring, Harley took the belt back to the dressing room, came back and said, no, I'm not going to wrestle him for the belt. <laughs> you know, I don't have a contract, and he's not going to get a shot at the belt. And uh, obviously the Hulk beat him. So that video was followed by an interview from Harley about the Hulk's uh, first ever title shot for the NWA belt. I don't know that uh, it wasn't his only title shot, as a matter of fact, because I, the Hulk, I think, went from there on into uh, New York. He went and worked in AWA. 
I don't know that he ever got another shot at the NWA belt mm. other than this particular night. Wow. All right. So with all the different interviews and classic videos like Hulk beating uh, the classic videos, rather like Hulk Hogan beating Harley race, this was becoming one of the best TVs ever. So how did it finish up? Well, man, it finished up just as strong as it started. I think, you know, the, the fans got their first look at 425 pound crusher Blackwell, uh, and his opponent, Ox Baker, uh, went to the set with Charlie. Uh, Ox Baker had never seen Crusher Blackwell wrestle, and he told that to Charlie. They discussed it, and uh, Charlie had never seen Crusher Blackwell as the, uh, on this particular day. And Crusher uh, left Ox Baker kind of speechless, man, because you know, uh, with him being 425 pounds, he hit his his opponent with a drop kick with both feet in the face, you know, and then went up on the top rope and uh, jumped off on him. He literally. Crushed he became Crusher Blackwell right then. He crushed that guy. That is amazing. That is and, uh, amazing. Ox Baker had no words. Wow. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so then the TV ended with the Southeastern Tag Champions, the Samoans. And obviously, as they had always done, man, they just demolished two young wrestlers. There was very few guys that could compete with them. And then... Before they had another problem with their manager, they had been having these problems for about three weeks with Billy Spears, and uh, they almost lost. You know, they they had a problem with Spears again, and they had a problem the week before where they almost lost the match on TV. <laughs> so the giant Dargon twins, they went to the set with Charlie, and they watched these guys wrestle the Samoans. They had yet to be in the ring with the Samoans, and uh. Wow, they were as speechless as Ox Baker had been about the Blackwell match after watching what the Samoans did to the boys they were in the ring with. Wow. All right, that's a great TV right there, especially in the July July rating period on top of that. Two NWA champions on it, the Southeastern TV champion, the Southeastern heavyweight champion, the Southeastern tag champions, and Crusher Blackwell's debut. Did I miss anything? I mean, that had to be one of the best TV shows ever. So what about the results of this card? Well, Eddie Sullivan beat Ted Oates in the first match. Uh, the Assassin won over Herb Calvert. Charlie Platt uh, told me one of the best matches of the night on that night was Crusher Blackwell versus Ox Baker. And that match ended up in a double disqualification. Uh, first time these guys had ever wrestled each other, both of them end up bleeding, and uh, both of them end up disqualified. Uh, so uh, there's going to be a lot of a uh, lot of future here in the match between those guys for sure. Uh, then uh, the Samoans beat the Dargon Twins, uh, but they had to do it without the help of their manager. You know, and uh, what what happened after the match was over kind of changed everything for this team. And, uh, and actually for Southeastern. So the Samoans had almost lost again because of Billy Spears. As the Dargon twins, man, they got the heck beat out of them, basically, and they both ended up getting carried from the ring. The huge Samoans, man, took out their anger on the hottest heel in the territory. And you know who that was? It was Billy Spears. And those two guys jumped on Billy Spears, and they did everything they could. <laughs> To hurt him, man. And uh, and they became baby faces in the process. The fans went nuts. They were like, wow, this is great. They're going to kill Billy Spears. <laughs> so, 
So Billy Spears got carried from the ring that night, uh, and he never returned to Southeastern Wrestling again. Wow. So say goodnight to Billy Spears. Are you kidding, Stud? They ended his career that night. All right. So what was that all about? I mean, was that in the plans? (laughs) Well, you know, as with so many crazy things going on in my life at that time, this may be one of the craziest stories yet. Uh, Billy Spears and Austin Idol had never met before. Idol, before Idol arrived in the territory, Idol had been there for about ten weeks, and for some reason, and I don't know this, but I do know that that this is what actually happened. Spears had developed this hatred for Austin Idol, uh, and uh, you know both of them are heels; they're in the same dressing room all the time. Something happened between those two guys. Spears got so upset and hated him so much that uh, without knowing it, he approached an undercover police officer to beat, to pay, paid him to beat Idol up. <laughs> so Spears paid a police officer, not knowing he was a police officer, uh, to beat up Austin Idol. Spears got sent to jail and booked and sent to jail. And uh, at that point, we had no choice but to let him go. I mean, couldn't do anything with him after that. Can't put him in the dressing room with Austin Idol for sure. All right, wait. You know? and, uh, so, uh, and I guess uh, I guess our two big Samoans took care of the job for us. All right, you just made that all up, didn't you, Ron? <laughs> I couldn't make up a story. That weird <laughs> wow. <laughs> I mean, uh, bear in mind, man, it, it was it was 1979, and anything could happen. In fact, anything was happening. It was just a horrible, horrible year. So uh, then we had the second assassin, 1978, coming in to join the one that was already here on this card. And uh, and they needed the top team to work with. So uh, we used Billy Spears, man, and his red hot heat to turn the Samoans babyface. We needed, uh, you know, a second assassins coming. We don't need two heel teams. Uh, so... All of a sudden, uh, they beat the heck out of Spears. They become mm-hmm. baby faces, and uh, <laughs> we've got two major great teams that are going to be uh, uh, handling business down there in the uh, Gulf Coast. Wow. All right, so so far, a pretty crazy stud cast going. So who won the Slinker versus Jerry Briscoe match? Well, Ron Slinker beat, beat Jerry Briscoe, and he retained his Southeastern TV trophy. Uh, Austin Idol got disqualified. In his match with Jack Briscoe for the Southeastern title, Jack got his hand raised. He got the win, but Idol got to keep the belt. The NWA world title match had all kinds of intrigue in it, man. Uh, Austin Idol, as soon as the match uh, was being introduced, showed up at ringside with a camera and a, and a big old, big flash on, flash on his camera, you know, uh, taking pictures, taking photos of this world title match. And uh, he started out back from the ring a ways, but as the match proceeded, he got closer and closer to the ring. So at the end of the match, Hulk finally ended up, he got his bear hug on Harley again. Same as the last time they met uh, when Hulk beat him. And Harley, you know, was flailing his arms, uh, uh, you know, and Hulk was a pretty strong dude. I mean, he put that hold on you. Uh, You were going going to flail your arms and legs and do whatever you could and so Harley was flailing his arms around, and he hit the referee accidentally. The referee went down, 
but he wasn't down for very long. He bet he was down long enough. Idol jumped on the apron of the ring. Hawk still got the bear hug, and uh, he's looking right at Idol, and uh, and so Idol takes a snaps one of those photos, that bright flash right in the Hulk's face. Hulk dropped Harley and grabbed his eyes. And Harley just reached up there, schoolboyed him backward over him, and uh, got himself a quick one, two, three. All right, that's a that's a crazy crazy finish to a world title match. I'm sorry, Stud, but I have yet to see why this big night ended up in such a disaster. Everything so far, except for the Billy Spears thing, seems like it was going pretty well. So what about the attendance? How did you do there? Now now we get to the disaster part of it, Dave. <laughs> so it was all because of the attendance, basically. This this whole this whole evening went sour because of the size of the crowd. And you know how many times I've said that some people were much better, some wrestlers, than others at looking at a crowd and uh, being fairly close to judging pretty much the actual number of people there within 100 or 200 people, 500 at the very least, even if it was a big crowd. So it was much easier to do that in an arena in which you were accustomed to looking at the same seating each week. You know, like the Farm Center, you saw it all the time. You could look out there and uh, go, wow, this, uh, this is a little bigger or it's a little less. But it was a whole new ball game. however, when you uh, started uh, rather than looking at the Farm Center indoors, uh, just, which held about 6,000 people. But when you went outside in a football stadium, uh, you have these two huge concrete grandstands on both sides of the field. They had about 400 ringside chairs on the field and around the ring. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, they, uh, it, it was trying to, to see, to figure out how many people are in that is a whole lot of, lot of difference. So the next big difference is, too, the building had walls completely around it. And it was very secure when it came to keeping people out and from getting in free. But... Uh, this was a football field. It's an outside venue. It wasn't nearly as secure as a building was. So when we scheduled this event in that stadium, I asked Charlie Platt, who lived there in Dothan all his life, grew up in Dothan, how many people that refuse stadium held. This was back when we booked it, long before this match. And he told me it was about 8,000. And I, and I trusted that that was probably an accurate figure. I mean, he'd been there all his life. And knew all those football stadiums probably. So that night, there I was sitting at home. I had already wrestled in Knoxville. Uh, and uh, and we, we're going to be talking about that in the latter part of this studcast. We'll get to what happened in Knoxville. But uh, we'd already had the matches in Knoxville. Knoxville was in Eastern time, which meant it was an hour later than in Dothan, and it, which was in Central time. And I knew, man, what the card was there. And I knew that that night was possibly going to be a very big night at the box office. And uh, obviously, I'm sitting there, and I'm eagerly awaiting a call from Roy Lee, who handled the box office, about the final count. So when the call finally came, I was told that the ticket count was 7,800 people. Now, that was almost 2,000 more fans than had ever attended a wrestling event in that city. I was pleased with that number, you know, the entire, when you think about it, uh, you're talking 1979, the entire population of Dothan, Alabama was only 50,000 people. 
And if 8,000 of them showed up, that meant 15% of the people that lived there were in the football stadium that night. So that was one out of every seven people in the stadium uh, in the city was in that stadium. So that's a huge percentage of the population of the city. All right. That sounds great. But so where's the disaster? I still don't see it. What happened? (laughs) Well, the, the disaster came when the next group of calls after Roy Lee came, calls that I was not expecting. First one was from Louis Toulet. And uh, he could hardly, I could hardly get him to calm down to, to, to so I could understand his French. <laughs> he, was, he, was, he was not very uh, proficient with English anyway, and he was extremely upset. <laughs> and he was telling me that he estimated the crowd was way over 10,000. Hmm. And that some of the wrestlers had already had a meeting and they were upset with their pay. And that someone had stolen thousands of dollars from not only him and but the wrestlers. And uh, that he expected that we were going to lose a lot of wrestlers because of it. Wow. All right. So, I mean, what, what made him think that there were that many people there and automatically that somebody had been stealing well, Dave, it's always been a kiss of death, man, to have a huge crowd in a new location like that. Uh, that was larger, you know, than 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 the old the older building would, whatever old. And it, and it wasn't uncommon, especially on these very large crowds, for wrestlers' eyes to get big. And so are the estimates of the crowds, man, uh, to vary, you know. Uh, uh, the, so you know, everybody has their own idea of how many it is. But, you know, none of them probably knew anything about the football stadium and how many people it held. So so I got on the phone immediately with Charlie, uh, one of the guys I trusted the most. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I didn't tell him why I was asking, but I, you know, I, I said, uh, how big was the crowd, Charlie? And uh, and he said, he said, Ron, if there were four, about 400 people on the field. And he said, if, all those 400 people had been sitting in the grandstand along with the rest of it. He said that stadium would have been almost full. And I remembered he told me 8,000 was mm-hmm. a, how much that stadium held and, uh, when we first talked about it, which was months earlier. Mm-hmm. So, so much had been put into this event. Uh, the Gordon Soli even came to Dothan, uh, went into the ring that night and presented Charlie Platt an award from the National Wrestling Alliance as the best new TV wrestling commentator in America. A lot of things went into this particular event. And uh, we had, uh, we had including the July 4th mobile card and only two weeks with the mobile event and this Dothan event and two events, we drew 20,000 fans. Really amazing figure. Wow. And this yeah. night, this night uh, should have catapulted the company into one of the best wrestling territories in the country. I mean, uh, this this should have just it should have caught us on fire, literally. And instead, this controversy over the size of the crowd did just the opposite. So basically, my good news kept turning into a disaster. Call after call came in that night from wrestlers, man all with the same complaint. Uh, and, and after at midnight, I stopped taking phone calls because I knew 
you know, I wasn't there. What I should have done, Dave, and looking back on this night uh, is, uh, you know, uh, I should have taken myself off the Knoxville cart that night and I should have gone to Dothan and been there. And I probably could have straightened this out, man, uh, mm. if I had been there and been able to, 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 to see people uh, uh, having a problem with things. I think I probably uh, I would have done better. But as with everything, man, in 1979, this was turning into a kind of a smelly pile of it. Man. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Instead, you know, but instead, uh, this was the high point of Gulf Coast Territory success that year. I mean, we had had within three weeks uh, two shows that did a total of 20,000 people. Yeah, and uh, and from this point on, because of this 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 controversy over the how many people was actually in that football stadium, mm-hmm. uh, instead of uh, the that territory going crazy, uh, it went just like the Knoxville territory and started in the opposite direction, started going down. Wow. I'm right. I mean, this has been an absolutely amazing first part of this studcast. So how much more controversy were you going to be able to take in 1979? All right. So when we get when we get back, we're going to take our break right here. We're going to be back in Tennessee following last studcast disaster there with a huge makeup card. This studcast will be back in a moment. Okay, Studcast fans, Ask the Stud 7, the question and answer show on YouTube Southeastern Rewind has set a new record. The Stud has become a star in a totally new category. He has no limits to what the fans can ask, and his experience in all facets of professional wrestling gives him the answers to unlimited questions. If you have not heard one of these tremendous shows or have not sent in your question, subscribe now at YouTube Southeastern Rewind and send your questions to the post you will find on his social media sites. On Facebook, Ron Fuller, the Tennessee Stud, or Twitter, Ron Fuller Welch. Saddle up for history. All right, Studcast fans, welcome back. It's the second half of episode number 308 record crowd becomes disaster so let's get this stud cast going again after what we heard in the first part of this one stud i'm almost afraid to go north to knoxville so why don't we start with the makeup card for that entire lost evening in the last stud cast we're on the same night friday july 27th 1979 as what we just talked about in dothan alabama about 500 miles to the south so how are you going to make up the loss of maybe the best card of the year in the last stud cast? Well, we were still outside uh, in the amphitheater and uh, going to throw everything we could on this card, uh, see if we could get some momentum back. I mean, gosh, we lost the best card of the year. And, uh, you know, we had opportunity to, to, to do some things, to, uh, to maybe get some of that momentum back. So we were going to start to feature some new wrestlers in the early matches. And we'd been talking about this, uh, Dick Slater and I, about getting some new guys in the underneath card. And one of those was in the opening match on this card. Now, he wasn't going to become a star this time uh, in Knoxville. But a couple of years later, 
Lord Jonathan Boyd is going to team up with Crazy Luke Williams in uh, Pensacola's Southeastern Territory, and they're going to become the hottest, one of the hottest teams in the history of that territory. Uh, the New Zealand Sheepherders, man. So uh, Jonathan Boyd is uh, doing his first match ever in Knoxville facing Dean O. Tor Tanaka was wrestling against Ted Allen. United States Junior Heavyweight Championship was on the line. Champion Tony Charles against Eddie Mansfield. The next match was a special challenge match. Dick Slater and Kevin Sullivan against the Mongolian Stomper and Alexis Smirnoff, managed by Gorgeous George Jr. And if Dick Slater's team won, he got five minutes alone with Gigi after the match. The first of two main events was for the Southeastern Tag Championship. Robert and I had actually won the tag belts from Tanaka and Fuji in Johnson City, Tennessee, three days before that last Friday's card that got rained out. So we were going to be wrestling Tanaka and them the week before, and uh, Tanaka and them were going to be the champions, but uh, we had won the belts on Tuesday. So if that card hadn't rained out, we would have been defending the belts against Tanaka and Fuji. So instead of wrestling against Tanaka and Fuji, we're booked to defend against Jimmy Golden, and he's got a mystery partner. <laughs> so to top the card off, we were bringing back the third annual $10,000 pole battle royal because it didn't happen the week before. Uh, it was going to happen on this card. All right, so it, it really sounds like a, another great card, and fans were going to still get the pole battle royal. That's pretty cool. So what was on the TV show to set it all up? Well, since there had not been any matches the night before, because the show had rained out, there was no videos for us to use, which we like to do videos in the program. It always added something to it. Uh, but uh, there was only going to be one in this, and uh, thank goodness we had taped that Johnson City match in which Rob and I won the championship. So the TV opened up uh, with a tag match. Dick Slater and Kevin Sullivan ran roughshod, man, over a couple of overmatched heels. Slater was at the top of his game, and so was Kevin, man. Uh, and they made a pretty good team, these guys. And uh, during that match, uh, Gigi came to the set, and he complained to Les about this special stipulation in their tag match. You know, and he wanted to know why Slater is going to get an opportunity to have five minutes with me by myself. You know, uh, what's the reasoning behind that? And, uh, and then he finally ended up getting so upset, he just said, I'll tell you what, Slater's going to regret this. He'll be sorry for this. So then the second TV match was for the United States Junior Heavyweight Championship, Tony Charles. Uh, wrestling and defending his belt on TV. We're in the rating period month still. And uh, so, uh, and he's going to be defending him against a very tough opponent, Mr. Mm -hmm. Fuji. Mm -hmm. So uh, Eddie Mansfield, uh, who would be go going to get a chance at the belt the following Friday night, he uh, went and joined the less at the set. And uh, so, uh, and if Charles uh, actually beat Fuji, you know, on this on this TV match, He's going to get his first shot ever at the U.S. Junior Heavyweight Championship. So he talked about, uh, the, Mansfield talked about how long he'd been waiting for a shot at that belt. And then he made a prediction that next week uh, on the next Saturday, 
He's going to be the United States Junior Heavyweight Champion. But uh, he's watching this match, and uh, when it, it started looking like Mr. Fuji's going to beat Charles, right? So, so and uh, it mm. was a very competitive match wow, between these guys. Uh, they were mm. both great wrestlers and, uh, and two of the best in the world. And the studio audience was really into it, man. And it ended uh, with a 15-minute uh, time limit draw. Hmm. Uh, Mansfield, though, had left the set, and he was down banding on the apron of the ring for Charles to win. Cool, don't <laughs> lose. Don't lose. Don't lose. I want to make it my shot to win the belt. <laughs> and uh, so it ended up a draw, and, uh, you know, that was, <laughs> it was pretty rare. Yeah, that was kind of, a, I'd say, very rare. A, a heel actually cheering on a baby face. <laughs> so... All right, so what about the personality profile? Who was on that? Well, my brother and I, and uh, we joined less at the profile set, and we had all our belts, uh, you know, and we are going to be in the last match on TV, so we wore our belts and on the profile and uh, sat down in the chairs there and the fans in the studio. Uh, when we came out with the belts on, they had no idea that we were the champions. They, you know, things had changed dramatically. And then we had missed that next Friday, that last Friday night because of the rain. So uh, there we were, first time they had a chance, a lot of them, to see that we were the tag champions. Uh, so because, you know, Les started out by asking us about uh, our father, you know, how's your dad doing, uh, you know, because of the injury he had. And, uh, you know, a lot of fans, I'm sure, were curious about the same thing. It was really thoughtful of him. And uh, so then we watched the only video, like I said, of a recorded match from the week before. We didn't get our Friday night uh, in and didn't get to record any matches. So our victory over Tanaka and Fuji four days earlier, right up there in the Tri-Cities area, northeastern part of Tennessee, which is Bristol, uh, Johnson City, and Kingsport, uh, we got to to show the fans how we won the belts. And after the video ended, then uh, Les asked us, he said, guys, uh, y'all are already here. He goes, uh, I got to ask you if you would please stay and watch this interview. He said, I recorded this uh, before anybody came into the studio. He said, Jimmy Golden came to me and he asked me if I would record something to be uh, put on TV. And he says, I want I want you guys to see this. You know, and uh, he says, it's all about this upcoming title defense. You guys are going to be defending against Jimmy Golden and, uh, and his mystery partner. So Jimmy, man, at this point, uh, he was at the top of his game. I mean, he, he was obviously loving being a heel for the first time in his career. So he opened it up laughing like crazy, and then he, and he asked us, uh, he says, uh, how's Uncle Buddy? You know, is he still bedridden? Oh, God. <laughs> the opening line. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and the fans, they responded with booze like he was right there live in the studio. They popped like, wow, you, boy, what an ass you are, man. <laughs> so then he continued from there. And he told us, you know, he said, you better shine up those belts real good. He says, because six days from now, he says, me and my mystery partner, we're going to leave the ring with him. And then, then he said, uh, you know, he said, I got a real big surprise for, 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 for you guys and the fans. And then, and he said, uh, 
you know, he said, I put the, I put your old man <laughs> to pasture, man, hmm. with a back injury. But he <laughs> said, I got a different plan for you two boys. He said, we're going to both, you, you, both of you guys are going to see red and lots of it because we never treated him as an equal. He said, you guys never treated me as a part of the family. I was always, you know, pushed to the side and looked over and, you know, treated badly. And then he says, and you know how the old saying goes, uh, when I'm talking about red, blood is thicker than water. And uh, so, you know, he left a lot of little uh, uh, worry about uh, what the heck he was really saying. And then he ended up by saying, fans better get ready. He said, because all hell's going to break loose here now. Mm. Do you think anyone had any idea who his partner was going to be? Well, that was kind of the beauty of this angle, man. His partner had not wrestled in southeastern Knoxville in four years. Wow. So this guy is going to show up, not been there for four years. And uh, so nobody knows who he is. Interesting. I know. Yeah. I mean, we knew, obviously, but the fans don't know. And, uh, wow, the guy, they're going to – he's (laughs) – well, he's got his plan. Let's put it that way. That's cool. All right. And somebody we hadn't seen for four years. So the, you knew the fans were really going to be digging that maybe. All right. So who was the, what about the third TV match? Who was in that? Well, the Mongolian Stomper and Alexis Smirnoff, they're in a tag match managed by Gigi against Slater and Sullivan. Uh, they were in that match and, uh, Slater and Sullivan went to the set with less and, uh, Slater tore into Gigi, man. He asking uh, Sullivan, you know, he says to, to Kevin, you know, if you can just keep everybody off of me and I get that five minutes with Gigi, he goes, we'll never have to worry about him again because I'm going to send him to the hospital. <laughs> so he was all really, if we get this win, I get five minutes, just keep him off my back. So then the last match on the show was Rob and I. And uh, we wore our belts to the ring and the studio was ready, man. And, and so were we, you know, to, to give them something big, especially after they got that let down, man, with that rain from the week before. And uh, so we ended a wild match by both of us putting a fuller leg lock on, on each one of the guys we were wrestling. And the studio was obviously loving that, man. Uh, but the problem was that, uh, you know, when you got the fuller leg lock, you're laying on your back. You got your legs all tangled up with another guy, and you're not going to be able to get up very fast. So as soon as we put these leg locks on them, uh, then here came Jimmy Golden. And uh, and he let everybody know who his, his mystery partner was six days early before he was scheduled, uh, Norvell Austin, and came exploding in the studio with Golden, <laughs> and they stomped Rob and I into the mat because we can't get up. And uh, then Jimmy jerked me up and he held me. And that cannonball-headed Norvell Austin, who had the hardest head, man, I've ever seen. I know. It butted me into oblivion. Wow. Bloodshot everywhere. Wow, it just cracked my skull. And then they got Rob up, did the same thing, maybe even worse to him. And they left us both laying and bleeding. And we had taken our belts, wore our belts in the ring. We left our belts in the corner. They stole the belts, and they left the building. Uh, Jimmy was, you know, true to his word about us seeing red, man. (laughs) 
we saw a lot of red. We saw it right then. And then, and then his devil he said the all hell was going to break loose. Well, obviously, Norvell was his devil, and uh, well, things were going to get hot in southeastern. Wow, what an amazing ending to a TV show! So, did you and Rob make an interview on the end of the show, or what? What happened? Well, Jimmy and them, time was running short, about to run out of time. So, uh, you know, we're still there. And down in the ring, uh, several of the guys, the other baby faces came to the ring. They brought towels, and they were trying to get the bleeding stopped. Uh, we were both bleeding pretty bad. And uh, so Jimmy and them, on their way out of the studio, carrying the belts, stopped by the desk with Les, and they, they took our interview time. <laughs> so, well, we really got a bad deal on this one. Okay, so that was an impactful way to end the show. It had to have gone a long way in making up for that disastrous rainout, maybe, the night before. So how about the next Friday night? Well, Dean Ho won over Jonathan Boyd. Uh, Tor Tanaka got the best of Ted Allen. Uh, Tony Charles successfully defended his United States junior heavyweight belt against Eddie Mansfield. Mansfield was wrong about walking out and beating Tony Charles. Not many people could beat Tony Charles. Uh, Dick Slater won the tag match with his partner, Kevin Sullivan. Uh, they beat the Mongolian Stomper and Alexis Smirnoff, and, uh, and he got his five minutes with Gorgeous George Jr. And uh, Kevin stayed at ringside, right? And uh, while the fans were happy about that, you know, Slater was taking care of business. He was starting to crank into really kicking uh, gorgeous George's rear end. And uh, all of a sudden, Kevin Sullivan jumps in the ring and attacks Slater. And then the Stomper and Smirnoff join Slater, and uh, they they beat the heck out of us. Uh, they, joined, uh, they came in and joined Sullivan, and uh, they all three beat Slater until he had to be carried out on the stretcher. Wow, there a lot going on on that night. So I, I mean, really not expected, was it? Well, they they sure didn't, uh, you know, and, and the crowd certainly didn't, and that was always good when nobody expected stuff. It, it meant that uh, you know it, we'd got over, and uh, people were just stunned. They were like, "Wow, what the heck is Kevin Sullivan doing?" So uh, you know, uh, there's a lot of intrigue going on here, and. Uh, so uh, Rob and I had our belts returned to us uh, on that Friday night, early in the night. Uh, we sent over there. Uh, they sent the belts to us because we were champions. And uh, then we kept them. Uh, you know, uh, uh, We won the match against uh, Golden and Norvell. Uh, basically, it was a double disqualification in both teams. Uh, but uh, there was a lot more blood in this one, but it wasn't all our blood this time. Mm -hmm. uh, so it was a little bit different than Jimmy had predicted it was going to be. And then uh, Robert ended up winning the $10,000 pole battle royal at the end of the night. Wow. So it sounds like you may have been able to get back some of that momentum lost on the rain out the Friday before. So what was the attendance? How did you guys do that night? Well, it was 3000 It was one of the best crowds since the war started. And uh, probably because of the way the TV show ended the Saturday before with both of us bleeding and the fact that this was a pole battle royal on this card as well as the card that didn't happen. 
and uh, we were going to be, uh, you know, we were really, really, uh, really happy with uh, the 3,000 to see it, uh, uh, but it was not near what it could have been if we hadn't had that rain the week before. I think we had talked uh, last week. We were mm. expecting as many as 5,000. Mm. So mm. You know, we were happy with the three, but uh, we wished we hadn't had the rain. And we would, I'd love to have seen what that one would have been. Wow. All right. How did the Knoxville Five, the All-Stars, I guess you'd say the guys across town do? How did they do the next night? Well, I have no idea, man, as, I, as usual, about what their card was. But uh, but the my usual crowd spotter that went to their events, and he always called me and told me what he thought the crowd was. Mm-hmm. He said it was probably about 1,000 people, maybe a little less, mm-hmm. but somewhere around 1,000. All right, did when when he would call you, was that information you wanted to know, or or is there also a part of you that just didn't want to know? Well, you know, that whole situation was one of those that you, you do do I or don't I? You know, right? Do, right. do I really want to get it, <laughs> yeah. or do I not really want to hear what it was? Yeah. So you know, uh, just it became kind of uh, during the whole course of this war uh, that this this guy would give me these numbers and uh you know it didn't make me feel better most of the time and it sometimes it didn't make me feel worse either but it so but i would think that it probably you you recognize they're not growing yeah they were they had a very very difficult time uh, growing it uh above a thousand just really They, they had very few crowds that were over a thousand yeah. So, you know, I would have been very disappointed if he'd have said they got 3,000. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. You know, I went to your crowd last night and they had just as much as you. Right. I would have, wow, I, that would have really hurt me. So but, it's kind of damned if you do and damned if you don't as far as listening to the information, but then at the same time, a little rewarding knowing that, the okay, the thing that they're trying to put together is is not working so far. Okay, Stud, so we're running out of time, but I think you wanted to talk about something new the All-Stars had come up with that wasn't going to help the war. What What about that? Yeah, thanks for reminding me, Dave. Uh, you know, I, I wanted to talk about uh, in the beginning of the war, uh, you know, we, we talked about this. Uh, certain things uh, uh, had needed to be avoided in, in one of these wars if you were going to save your your territory, basically, you know, and uh, and uh, the war was being handled in such a way as as not to destroy wrestling in that part of the country. Uh, if they had been avoided some of these things, but if both sides totally ignored each other in the end, then uh, when the war was over, one way or the other, the territory and its fans might still appreciate the sport. These wrestling wars made the fans just kind of get disappointed and disenchanted with the whole thing. They didn't want to support even anybody, basically. So. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we had tried to totally ignore them. But uh, that hope was dashed, man, when I saw this new one that they threw on us uh, during the course of this week. And it was a horrible idea. Uh, and uh, it was the challenge on TV. And they were running their newspaper ads now again. Uh, they were challenging us. Uh, on TV and on the in their newspaper ads, with one of their wrestlers challenging one of our wrestlers. Okay, and uh, 
For instance, uh, as an example, let's say Ronnie Garvin would challenge the Mongolian Stomper to show up at their matches on a Saturday night and that he would pay him $5,000 if he beat Ronnie Garvin. So obvious to the fan, that sounded good. And, and, I, and I'm sure some of, some of them showed up there and paid their money to see that. You know, they was wondering, is that going to happen, right? Uh, but, but if you think a little deeper on this, man, why, I w- why would I allow one of my stars to go to their show at all and especially accept the challenge when the mere fact that he showed up at their show is going to help them to draw better <laughs> than they normally would, right? Right. And, uh, and it's going to make fans think if you ever went there and did that, then they're going to think it's going to happen again and again. So basically, I'd be using my wrestlers to build their company. Right? <laughs> I mean, uh, but it was a horrible idea for them, and it, it didn't. Uh, it was it was a uh, it was just part of the war and part of the, the horrible things that made it so terrible. To me, an act, an act of desperation, I think, is what that was. And maybe that was happening every week for them, an act of desperation. It, it's been another great one, Ron. All of this war and now what's going on down south is proving to be one of the most significant and interesting stories in the history of wrestling. All right, and listen, I, I wish we could. We were on a roll, but no time for a learning tree this week. But it has certainly been a learning tree experience. So, where do we ride next week, Ron? Well, we're headed into August, man, in 1979. Uh, and in southeastern Knoxville, uh, up north there, there we're going to be another strong card. Basically, we're going to try to attempt to hold up the size of this week's crowd uh, to keep that 3,000 to grow above 3,000. Uh, the next card, well, we're going to have uh, all the fans talking because Jimmy Golden, is nowhere to be seen on the card. And, uh, you know, uh, Jimmy, at this point, uh, wow, he had a tremendous amount of heat, and the fans watched over the, watched this card, and when they were read it, when it was read down by Les at least two times in the show, I'm sure fans were going, where the heck is Jimmy Golden? Uh, so then uh, after Kevin's turn on Dick Slater, uh, uh, sent, uh, that kind of sent Kevin Sullivan on the other side, to the heel side, like Golden, uh, for the first time in Kevin's career. So Jimmy had turned <laughs> heel for the first time in his career. Mm-hmm. And uh, two weeks later, Kevin Sullivan turns heel for the first time in his career. Now, Sullivan's future as a heel is going to become legendary. I'm telling you, he is going to, by, in the Florida Territory in the 80s, Kevin Sullivan is going to be the, the heel. For, for that territory. So in the month of August, also in the month of August, uh, uh, down in the, up in uh, Knoxville, uh, we're going to see two wrestlers have their heads shaved in one month. Then southeastern Gulf Coast, uh, the legacy of this Dothan record crowd, man, and the disaster that followed it, man, that's going to take business down faster than a leg dive, man. I'm telling you, uh, Andre is going to return. In August, uh, Blackwell's going to start to make a name for himself in the uh, southeastern Gulf Coast, uh, especially in his battles with Ox Baker. Uh, then they've got two tremendous teams that are headed for a legendary run, the Samoans and the Assassins, against each other. 
that's going to be a tremendous, tremendous run. And uh, but like everything in 1979, man, uh, where bad news never ends, uh, more bad news on the war <laughs> is coming because the war is going to come to the Gulf Coast territory. Wow! Wow! So hopefully next week uh, we'll have time for another learning tree question, my man. Uh, sorry about it this week, folks, but uh, you know I'm. Uh, but there's so much going on, uh, it's hard to get it all in, Dave. Oh, no doubt. Every time I think things are going to get better, Ron, you give us so many new things to think about. I don't know how anyone in wrestling could have had an as interesting or difficult a year as you in the notorious year known as 1979. So the, th- the strange thing is, I can't wait to hear about it again next week and folks on facebook go to ron fuller welch the tennessee stud on facebook like him and follow him there to become friends with a living legend on facebook same thing on twitter ron fuller welch follow him there too check out his fantastic website is tnstud.com tnstud.com for every stud cast ever done 43 super stud cast ron's stud store is there all kinds of souvenirs in the stud store including his thrilling lion novel called Brutus. You can get yours personally autographed. You can get that done too. Plus, Ron's YouTube Southeastern Rewind is red hot. It has more than 310 videos. You could spend days and days and days and still not see them all. The last 87 stud casts are there, including this one. 52 stud stories and now 56 short rides with the stud and the brand new Ask the Stud 7 question and answer show has just been posted. You got to check it out. Subscribe now at YouTube Southeastern Rewind and see the best in old school wrestling absolutely free. All right. Any closing comments, Stud? Well, as always, Dave, uh, you know, I want to thank all our wonderful fans out there. Wow, we got some great fans. And, um, and I hope uh, everybody has enjoyed this one today. And I hope they're going to come back and listen to uh, the next studcast. And uh, please take care of yourselves and others. May God bless us all. For Ron Fuller in the Great Smoky Mountains of Tennessee, I'm David Summers saying thank you for listening. Find me at David Summers Productions at gmail.com. This studcast is a David Summers production for Tennessee Stud LLC. Thanks for joining us today for this historic studcast. The true story continues next week. So full Nelson, your friends, and point them in our direction for another ride with the Tennessee Stud. This is David Summers saying so long from the Great Smoky Mountains.